Hello, Faculty Factory listeners. It's your friendly podcast producer, Casey Callanan, here just to remind you that the Faculty Factory is now on Twitter. If you want to follow us, go ahead and find us at faculty underscore factory. So if you're on Twitter, please find us there and we will make sure to follow you back. We want to keep in touch with our community and we will have a link to our Twitter page in the description of today's episode with Dr. Patrick O. Smith. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski here at Hopkins, and I'm chatting with my friend and colleague and former president of the AAMC Group on Faculty Affairs, Dr. Patrick Smith. Hi, Patrick. Hey, Kim. Well, Dr. Smith is the, well, all right, this is complicated, so just hang on, strap yourself in. He is the Associate Dean for Faculty Affairs in the School of Medicine since 2009 at University of Mississippi, and the title also he holds is the Chief Faculty Affairs Officer for the other schools in Mississippi Dentistry, Nursing, School of Health-Related Professions, Graduate School, and Population Health. So two titles, Dean for Faculty Affairs, Chief Faculty Affairs Officer. His first episode was one of the very early ones back in April 2019, episode number 13. So you want to scroll back up there and listen to that one where we had a really interesting conversation. It's always interesting with Patrick organizing pain points and high velocity culture change. And he he mentioned our colleague and friend, Kevin Grigsby, being a toxic handler, how to mediate conflict and challenging situations. We talked about the purpose-driven life. Oh gosh, we talked about so many interesting things and Today, Dr. Smith is going to share some of his reflections on the past couple interesting years. Again, Patrick, welcome to the Faculty Factor. Welcome back, I should say, frequent flyer here. And uh, what's going on? Lead us off. So, so Kim, uh, you ask about um, significant accomplishments, changes, or challenges in our institution, our office, faculty needs, my personal career, any lessons learned from the pandemic or how pandemic has changed our office, our roles, responsibilities, careers, and and life. So I think one of the the most important significant accomplishments that our institution has done is they took advantage of this COVID disruption to really step back and think about our organization in a very healthy way. And in the midst of that uh, pandemic that we're still continuing to experience, uh, we took a close look at the strategic future of our institution. We've uh, documented a five-year plan and have assembled a team of people who are really doing what I call strategic thinking and management. So it's not just planning, actualizing strategic initiatives. Strategic thinking and management versus strategic planning. Interesting. And when you said step back, we step back. 
see, you've already thrown me two interesting, juicy things. Step back. When I was thinking, we like stepped forward. We you know ran forward. So that picture of, oh my gosh, all hands on deck. Everybody move. Everybody's in. And I'm sure at Mississippi, you were doing that as well. And yet simultaneously, purposefully stepping back and thinking and then going right into planning and management. That sounds like Patrick Smith. I love it. I love it. Tell us more. So, so I'll give you a couple of examples. Please. So we have really begun the process of changing the way we do uh, budget, finance, and decision-making on the campus. We have uh, assembled a team of people to do that in a much more uh, transparent, equitable, and process-driven manner. That, that's an example. We have uh, just begun the process of rearranging some of our faculty in the foundational science departments to, to, to really bring, I guess, support to those people and to value what they do. So we're creating a, an office that's focused on education in our School of Medicine or a department that's focused on education in our School of Medicine. We are changing the way some of the funds are flowing into those foundational departments. And we're trying to create centralized support to, to really support the cores and the whole research infrastructure to better support those funded scientists. So there's been organizational adjustments to bring support and to better, and in my opinion, demonstrate value for those faculty members. So that kudos to you to, you say this kind of like so nonchalantly, like we all decided to wear blue ties on Friday. We just changed the whole budget and finance structure. <laughs> that had to have been a tremendous lift so were there murmurings and hemming and hawing around the, the way the budget and finance structure worked before the pandemic? Or was this something like, as long as we're stepping back and thinking, can we kind of noodle around with a new way of doing budget and finance? Because to me, I can't even imagine having that conversation with someone, let alone doing it and completely changing the flow of funds. I mean, were people so, exploding? I mean, how did you do that? <laughs> so we knew that it needed to be done prior to the pandemic. And, and I got to give credit to, to Dr. Luann Woodward, our dean and CEO of this place. She didn't let the pandemic derail where we needed to go. Mm, 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 mm. And we have a uh, top talented chief financial officer who's been steadily chipping away at this process and working with leaders to, um, to inform them of the process and to get feedback on the process to, to lead this whole change management effort. So kudos to the dean, Dean Woodward. Yes. Kudos to the dean for not um, backing down, being derailed, being distracted, using like many of us personally did, well, COVID, we all have personal experiences. Well, I'd like to help you out, but you know, COVID or then it went to, well, you know, I'd like to help you out, but supply chain, 
within our our group of friends, we always say when we can't do something or we we drop the ball on something like, well, you know, supply chain. So not using that as an excuse that it's like, no, we're we're gonna we see this, we feel it, it's real, and we will continue to march along. So wow, that is staunch leadership, really committed. Once you're committed, we're in it. We're not going to say it because it, it could have been very easy. Everybody, all your faculty, all your constituents would have been like, well, understandable. We kind of had other things to do. So you, you, she could have gotten away with that, of not doing it. So let me tell you a way of thinking about this. And, and this goes back to an AMC project that we did here on this campus in 2011. And it was a, a transformational leadership project. It was a pilot project. They, they supported three of those around the country. We were one of the campuses. And what I think Dr. Woodward has done is she has not uh, gotten bogged down in the transactional, which was running, was really stepping forward to meet the needs during the pandemic crisis. But she kept her eye on the horizon kept looking around corners and, and maintained that proactive sort of transformational focus to, to really lead the institution into a healthier state. Yeah, and isn't that one of the fundamental features of good leadership to have that awareness of relationships and to not be, to recognize that you have to have the the team members in place that will allow you to achieve those those goals. Because I'm thinking that if you're a leader who fully believes in transformational relationships and not just what can you do for me, that you might that you might be distracted if you feel like you're if you lose confidence in your team members. If you see bits and pieces starting to crumble and crack, which is what would have happened at the pandemic? So I think it's another indication, another piece of example that um, solid, good leadership, I'm not saying they're perfect or we have to be perfect, but when you build a strong foundation of that value, what is important to you, you make people aware of it, you share it, you have that full transparency that we're going to do this. And I believe in you, Dr. Patrick Smith, and I believe in you, Kim Skorupski, and I need you at the table. We need you, and we're going to fall. We're going to mess up, and there are things that were out of our control. Hello, COVID, no control over that, and yet we will prevail. So that that's a good leadership model right there. Those of you who are listening want to know about leadership, wow, that Dean Woodward, good leadership. Congrats to you for just doing something so easy like budget and finance, changing flow of funds, easy peasy. <laughs> Other than that small little uh, improvement, what else are y'all doing there, Mississippi? So, so let me tell you a couple of uh, accomplishments I think we we did in the faculty affairs space. Mm-hmm. Is is again, we stepped back. We asked ourselves, let's be circumspective about this. How can we change onboarding to be an online onboarding experience, and how can we take advantage to to really streamline that and what can we learn from that to make our future onboarding experience better. And so we've made all sorts of adjustments over 24 months now 
to accommodate that. And, and the feedback that we've gotten is very positive. And so we're already looking at the future and how we, when we go back to in-person onboarding, how we can keep certain elements of that that has worked very well for us. So can, that's, can, I, can I interrupt you? Because sure. I think I have a vague recollection of you um, that in Mississippi School of Medicine, you do monthly onboarding. Am I remembering that correctly? We do bi-weekly on Oh, boom, even more. I We do it once a year at Hopkins. And I always say, well, Patrick Smith, the University of Mississippi, they do it monthly. Now it's even a bet. And people go, oh, monthly? We can imagine doing this monthly. Now I'm going to run back to them and go, every two weeks? What in the world? What a lift. Can, can you just, I, I, I think this is important because I really don't know many institutions that do onboarding so frequently. Can you just briefly, I don't want to go get the nitty gritty, but like what in the world do you do every two weeks with new faculty? So let me, let me tell you why we do it, how we do it. So if you, if you kind of dive into the human resource literature, one of the most important factors that influences retention is the first experiences of a person entering an organization. And so we want high touch concierge level of experiences for all of our faculty as soon as they arrive. And we want it to be very memorable and we want to stand out in their memory compared to other institutions that they've, that they've joined. Did y'all hear that high touch concierge level services for faculty? Who? What a concept. I challenge anybody out there in the world to come back and please do email me at facultyfactorykim at gmail.com, facultyfactorykim at gmail. I really want to know, are there other institutions or is University of Mississippi the only one doing this concept of high touch concierge level services? And I'm just imagining that what what a difference in feeling and in an experience when you walk into a nice hotel and they're like Patrick, welcome, and it's your room is ready and there's chocolate on the pillow and we know that your favorite drink is this and you got the music there and the fireplace is going and we got some warm towels and we got a bicycle for you and you think oh my word, I feel so special, and how many of our faculty in a model of our model in one year, like new faculty, I've been here 11 months. What are you talking about? Hello. <laughs> I mean, I don't need y'all. I mean, th that is low touch. So I love that. And, and first for my personality, of course, extrovert, I, I would, I love the way you say high touch concierge levels. Let's, let's make our faculty feel welcome for crying out loud. And then how we do it is we have two people waiting for folks to show up and they're smiling and they're ready. And, and we have uh, gift baskets. For oh, people. Come on. You're killing me. You're yeah. killing me. It's not just a highlighter and a water bottle. <laughs> the other thing I think is important is then we do a handoff. A handoff to the unit that the person's joining, whether it's a department or another school on the campus. And I call that you move from onboarding to orientation and integration. So it's a continuum of, it, of an experience. And we really promote that our schools and our school of medicine departments continue that high touch 
experience for the faculty. I bet your faculty really love you. And isn't that part of it? Like you're saying in the in Tate Shenefeld's work in the burnout literature, and I, I'm as well versed with the HR literature, but my my gosh, talk about when you walk into a place and you feel like, where have you been? We've been waiting for you. We're so excited to have you here and welcome to the family. Doesn't that completely change the vibe as opposed to, I couldn't even get in the building. I didn't have a badge. Nobody, I don't even know where my office is, where the restroom is. People aren't even saying hi to me. I guess I'm just, you know, I'm replaceable cog. It doesn't matter if I never showed up because people wouldn't even know the difference. It's, a, it's so, it's so common sense. And yet so, and we just don't do it. We don't do it. Oh, I'm going to do it. Thank you. Patrick. I'm going to do it. I'm doing it. So let me tell you something else we're really okay. excited about that, that we, we've been working on for a decade is uh, we have been working to create a network of what we call appointment, promotion, and tenure leads across all of our departments and our schools across the whole campus. Leads? Leads, like lead people. Leads, L-E-A-D-S. And what are the, who are those people? Those people are embedded within those units, the schools and the departments in the School of Medicine. And they are the internal experts about the School of Medicine promotion and tenure processes and the initial appointments. So we want those people and their committees that they work with to be very, very good at the peer review process of how to guide a department chair on the initial appointment of a faculty member what rank that they should be coming into the school, but also preparing people for upcoming promotion and tenure eligibility and consideration. And what's really neat is these individuals over time, this network has become very, very good at what they do. So now most of the nominees that come forward to the school appointments, promotion and tenure committee are set up for success. And as of this year in a five year look back, we had 93% of our nominations and considerations for tenure in the School of Medicine were successful. Wow. So you're talking promotion concierge or promotion coaching. Right. Yes. yes. So because right when you first started talking, I'm thinking, well, well, we all have promotions committees. I mean, I think all of our departments, 90% of our departments have a committee. And so what's the difference? My head was thinking. And now you you led me down this. That's different. A committee of people who someone says, and I'm like, if I say, oh, you know, Joe, I want to go up for promotion. Joe's like, well, get you go in front of the committee, ask them. So I'm like, well, who's on our committee, Joe? And Joe's like, I don't know, ask, you know, ask the admin and like, who's on the committee. And I blindly shoot my CV or say, can I meet with somebody? Am I ready for promotion? That's um, impersonal, certainly not high touch. It's kind of, I'm hoping somebody on the committee or I find out what the process is. And, and maybe some departments have a more formalized process or I wait for my annual review or I wait to run into my mentor in the hallway But if there's a lead or a concierge or a coach who's assigned to me, uh, that's 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 one on one. That's someone who knows me, cares about me, invested in me, me, not as faculty member. You're one of our. No, it's Kim Skrupski. That changes the game right there. 
A really, a really neat thing too that we have done, and this was a challenge before the pandemic, and we've been able to institute it during the pandemic, is um, we shifted to another platform, to a workday platform to do our annual performance evaluations. And there's a halogen component that's tied to it. But what we've done is we have uh, inculcated and socialized the idea of these leads within these departments to do something called individual development plans with all the faculty. Yep. So now this year we were able to get IDPs across the campus. We have templates at our website. And now those individual supervisors can sit down with the faculty member and talk about what the goals and the wishes are of that faculty member for the future and how does promotion and tenure may fit into that. So Patrick, you have set up a, a process or a structure in Mississippi where this is not the annual review with my division director department chair. This is not a meeting with my mentor. This is not um no, this this is specifically one goal in mind, talking about my promotion readiness. Is that right? No. No, it's wrong. It's, combi it's combining the performance review with goals for that faculty member's future that has promotion and tenure embedded in it. So it is an annual. And so this, this lead, the lead is involved in that annual review meeting using that platform. Yeah, the lead promotes the utilization. Let's give an example of a department of medicine. Okay. We have 13 divisions there. The division chief would be the direct supervisor of a faculty member in endocrinology. Okay. So the lead would be coaching the division leader on how to do IDPs with all the faculty members in that division. Got it. And that is uploaded into this annual performance review process. But we are um, socializing the notion that the conversations that are being had need to include the promotion and, and tenure, if applicable, uh, within it. So we're trying to, to blend these activities and make the annual review a constructive developmental right not like how yes. our views are our views are you generating for me because i'm thinking that most of us it's like the the faculty member goes in ready to say this is what i've done for you lately what, yes. the director saying the chair what have you done for us lately so i'm doing the tap dance i've done this i've done that i've done this i've done that i'm doing this and i'm not doing that and i'm failing at these goals and targets rather you're, you're changing the conversation or amplifying it to say, and now let's talk about you, Kim. Where are you going? What is your vision? What is, are you satisfied? Do you have the resources you need? Are you, know, are you on track? And then there's a, a measurable indicators and a metric and a system to actually look at that versus just this kind of, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm on, I think I'm on track, whatever. It's, you're, you're, you're blowing it open. I love it. And to take this even a step further, okay, we want um, that direct supervisor, if you will, to have what I call stay meeting conversations throughout the academic year. Say that again, stay meetings? 
stay meetings. What in the world is that? So that's when you sit down with that faculty member. You say, let's look at this individual development plan that we talked about last May. And let's say it's August. How's it going? Is, is there things that you needed last May when we had this conversation that you need now? What can I do to support you? So what we've learned is that if you have periodic stay meetings, that is enhancing retention and reducing attrition. Oh, okay. I'm, it, I'm so slow right now. I have finally caught up with you. I'm sitting here like, did I just lose a piece of my brain? I don't get it. I'm, I'm waiting for the acronym. Like Patrick could have some kind of joker zinger. This day, FDAY has to stand for something. So I'm like waiting for it. But you mean stay like retain you. Stay like don't leave meetings. Like stay like uh, it's a, it's a come on home to mama and have a dinner. We got to, we, we miss you here back home. Come on back, get the love. Don't leave. Uh, okay. Stay meetings. Oh, I love it. Again, that's that high touch. You care about me. I'm not just a file folder that you stuck in your electronic, you know, desktop and you're going to have trouble remembering me a year from now. It's, this is, you got the, the lead has not gone too far down the road. You, you got me in your eyesight. So you see me and you're reeling me back in. Come on now. Come on. I want to make sure. I love it. Oh, you're so good. So we gained that knowledge through uh, what's commonly referred to as exit interviews. We call them transition meetings. Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> Maybe people would do our transition meeting surveys and versus if we call them exit interviews. Like, hey, words mean stuff. It's amazing. Transition <laughs> meetings. I love it. So what we, what we learned is that people would express to me in these transition meetings that they didn't feel valued. So right. that's what led us to think about what can we do to enhance that high-touch experience at the departmental and divisional level to heighten the likelihood of retention. All right, now, now, now you're going to send me down a path so because I want to know about this. So you gleaned information from your transition meetings, which we in the normal world, uh, the non-Patrick Smith world, call exit interviews. And you said, we have a problem here, Houston. We need, um, we need to have, we need to keep our faculty. What can we do to help them feel needed, valued, respected, wanted? Um, thriving. How did you handle the, the kind of the basic uh, bread and butter of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like paying them and giving them resources? Or is that not an issue in Mississippi? I'm going to go back to um, human resource literature. About seven to eight out of 10 people leave a job because who they work for. Mm. It's not about pay. It's 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 very interesting. Uh, and and I, when I've looked at the faculty literature in higher education, if you if you allow people autonomy and if you provide them with fair market value compensation and opportunities for professional development, they will retain. 
But if you've got a jerk for a boss that's not paying attention to you, that's when people have a much higher propensity of leaving an organization. So we want those leaders and of the faculty to really be thinking about what they need to do. And I call this a service above self mentality. You talked about in your first episode. You guys got to go back and listen to episode number 13, service above self. You talked about it. Is how can the, the leader of the faculty really think what do they need to think, say, and do that's going to support those faculty members? And oftentimes it's just having a conversation. Yeah, it's that leading with authenticity is that when people know that you care, that will go a long way. That carries weight. When people look at you and you look at them in the eyes and they're like, he gets me. She feels me. And yeah, she may not be able to do this or that. And yet the trade-off is I could go there and triple my salary. I could go there and whatever. And yet what will I lose? And you're right. The people, the relationships, the collegiality, the, the generosity, the, the passion and excitement for science, that when you have that and nurture that, that is, and that's why it's so important to have people like you in leadership roles where the faculty feel like somebody's got our back. Someone understands that they're advocating for us and they're out there fighting for us and they believe in us. Yeah. Great work. So let me tell you a challenge that we've been given. I mentioned the strategic planning process, the strategic thinking and management. Uh, One of the strategic initiatives is around professional development. And historically, our office has not been charged with campus-wide professional development. And now we have been given that responsibility. By whom? Is it at the university level, you're saying? Well, at the university. Or just faculty? Just faculty. Professional development for faculty. So I have, you know, five schools here lots of diversity in faculty. And so one of the things that we're now looking at in our office is over the next four years, how can we build an infrastructure to support professional development for faculty success at different layers of the campus? So that's our challenge that's on on board. I don't have any answers. If any listeners has answers, please contact me. Oh my gosh. I have, I'm sure people are crawling through their phones right now going, oh, 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 me. So yeah, you can email posmith at umc.edu. That stands for Patrick O. Smith, posmith at umc.edu. Oh yeah, Patrick, that's that's right up my alley. I'd love to, I love to build and create and do do fun stuff. So yeah, we'll have to talk about that offline and then have you come back and tell us how this process worked forward for you in the professional development in Mississippi, because sure. that will be very valuable contribution, as was all this. Any parting comments and no corny Patrick Smith jokes. I swear, <laughs> I swear. Here, here's some quick lessons learned. Okay. As a function of this last two years. Okay. Adapt to ambiguity and be able to do quick pivots on policy, procedure, and practices. And the other thing that's been uncovered in these last two years in this 
pandemic that we're living in is trying to move things from the implicit to the explicit. All right. Now, wait a minute. I'm not going to let you go without got to go a little bit. Dip. I, I So I wrote adapt to ambiguity. And that's certainly obvious because I think a lot of us tried to exert or um, embody this non-anxious presence and during the, the tumultuous times and being able to say, yeah, this is ambiguous. We don't know what's going to happen. Masks, no masks, shots, no shots, boosters, no boosters, uh, working, pivoting from work, being called into different areas, especially. Yeah, I think many of us get the adapting to ambiguity and not certain about is my lab going to shut down and what to change my whole funding, my research agenda, and how can I hire people when they don't want to come into work? A lot of ambiguity. Quick pivots. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing the quick pivoting where you don't have too much time to think about some things. A lot of us are challenging, like we don't, we can't noodle this around. We gotta, we gotta find, we gotta make PPE. I mean, I was with a bunch of hundred other people in a warehouse. We we're sewing and gluing and sticking and making sanitizer and face shields out of plastic, 3M plastic things, and it, it was, you know, yeah, we were pivoting. I do not understand what the implicit to the explicit means. Where are you going with that? So uh, a number of people who come to work on a campus like this, they think they know what they need to do. And what I've learned is that we're not very good at being explicit on what the roles and responsibilities are. Mm, we make assumptions. We make assumptions. We make all sorts of assumptions. And so I think that for people like me in my role, I have to think about being very clear in communications about what the expectations are. Hmm. And in and trying to inculcate that into the culture for all of our faculty leaders so that it's clear to the faculty what the expectations are. Because what I've seen over the last couple of years is some faculty think they know what they're supposed to be doing, and that wasn't what some leader thought that they should be doing. Right, right. Which leads to conflict, and I get to manage conflict. Yay! Yay! <laughs> oh, how fun, he says with a smile on his face. Oh, conflict, yeah. That now, the other thing I'm going to mention to you before I get off here something called found pilots. Found pilots. Oh, here we go. I love wordplay. So you've got, you've got situations bubbling up all over this campus, all over this state, in fact. And we need solutions to manage certain problems that have revealed themselves. And, and we're asking ourselves, what do we do? And what I've learned is we can look around and uh, evaluate what would work, what is something that's already working in one pocket of the institution that could work in another pocket of the institution. So it's it's what I call a found pilot. You mean like an Easter egg hunt? I found it. I found it. I found it. <laughs> you're, you got you're it. Egg hunting. I love it. That is a nice plug for interdisciplinary thinking and strategic thinking of like, don't 
uh, the blinders that we only think this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. And you just happen to meander down that path. And lo and behold, there's a pretty little pink egg sitting there. You'll, that might work over there. Who'd have thunk? I there you it. go. I love it. Wow, Patrick. So good. I knew it would be good. Uh, as usual, folks, this has been Dr. Patrick Smith, Mississippi, right? Super cool. So many great ideas. I hope you've at least identified one thing. I have about two things that I've bolded and underlined on my piece of paper, mostly that high touch concierge level service for onboarding and orientation and integration. So those of you who are introverts and don't like to be hugged, look out because of the high touches coming <laughs> when we get back to reality. It's happening. Patrick, thank you so much. It's so wonderful to see you. Thanks for your contribution to our community and for all you do at Mississippi and to your Dean Woodward. Great job there and look forward to seeing you at a future conference. Very good. Thank you. All right, everybody. See you next time on the Faculty Factory Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.